TLS is widely used to add confidentiality, authenticity, and integrity to application layer protocols such as HTTP, SMTP, FTP, and more. However, TLS does not bind the TCP connection to the intended application layer protocol. This could allow a man-in-the-middle attacker to cause all sorts of havoc, including potentially cross-protocol attacks, where the behavior of one service may compromise the security of the other at the application layer. And that is the subject of the Alpaca attack, uh, of the Alpaca paper, the latest in a long line of TLS attack papers. And we're joined today by some of its authors to discuss its impact on practical security matters and more on Cryptography FM. Marcus Brinkmann received the diploma degree in mathematics from the Ruhr University Bochum in Germany in 2012 for his work on cryptographic Boolean functions and is currently pursuing the PhD degree with the Horst Goertz Institute for IT Security in Ruhr University Bochum in Germany. His research interests include applied cryptography and practical security for, of network protocols. We're also joined by Robert Mergit. He is a PhD student at the Chair for Network and Data Security at Troy University Bochum as well. His research focuses on attacks on TLS and analysis of TLS implementations. He is the maintainer of TLS Attacker and TLS Scanner and recently published two new attacks on TLS, Raccoon and the attack that we're discussing today, Alpaca. So as I was saying before the interview, I very much appreciate the uh, contributions you've made in the field, especially in terms of pivoting away from uh, very edgy and uh, testosterone-fueled attack names, you know, Dragon Killer, Death Blood Star, Destroyer, Network Shredder, you know, like all these things. Now we have Raccoon Attack, Alpaca Attack. And so, uh, great. Thank you, Robert and, and, and Marcus, for, for this for this very important pivot. And I, I feel like people who are pissed off about um, the way that these uh, security attacks were being branded, uh, a lot of them now just can't wait. For, for the next attack, you know, because it's going to come with a cute graphic and then we get to post it on all our Twitter feeds and it looks pretty good. So, yeah, we are hoping to set a trend here so that we can go on from this soon. Yeah, I, I'm personally motivated now. You know, I, I, I want to find the cute bunny attack and, you know, cuddly kitty attack. It's, it's really it's really a great, great way to motivate new research because you get to name it all these wonderful things. And I don't think anyone has a problem with with branding security vulnerabilities anymore after this. Yeah, my um, next favorites are the koala attack and the opossum attack. So maybe we can make this happen, but let's see. Absolutely. I, I think that there was an attack that used the uh, blue shell from Super Mario Kart as the logo. I think it was the shell-shocked attack. The, the attack oh, yeah, the yeah. Yeah, so that, that was also maybe, maybe an, an early indicator. But yes, uh, so today we're discussing your new paper uh, written in collaboration with I hope I'm pronouncing these names correctly. Christian Dressen, Damian Podebniak, uh, Jens Muller, Juraj Somorowski, excuse me, Juraj Somorowski, Jörg Schwenk, and Sebastian Schinzel from Munster University of Applied Scientists and uh, of Applied Sciences and Paderborn University. 
The paper is called Alpaca Application Layer Protocol Confusion. So that's what that stands for, Application Layer Protocol Confusion, Analyzing and Mitigating Cracks in TLS Authentication. So as far as I understood the the attack from looking at the paper, uh, you basically can take a certain, let's say, domain or, 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 or namespace of authentication that's guaranteed by TLS on a server, and you can uh, illegitimately expand it to include different parts of that domain or namespace. So you can take uh, something that's authenticating perhaps one domain and make it authenticate other related domains or, or subdomains. Is that correct or is that too general? Mm, so the problem with TLS is that according to the standard, actually, it is application layer um, agnostic. It's indifferent on what is transported over the secure transport layer. And um, this means that all the issues, uh, who is talking to whom and what is exchanged is um, uh, left to the application. And um, the only tool that TLS gives you is a verification of the domain name through the certificate. In the standard configuration, the client does not authenticate itself, but the server does authenticate itself with the certificate. And in the certificate is a list of domain names that are uh, for that are used for the certificate. And this list can be very long, and it can include uh, wildcard uh, domains like asterisk.foo.com, which is valid for a long list of subdomains. But it can also include multiple domains in um, a shared hosting environment, for example, that is used a lot. And um, uh, also there's a practice that people are just copying a certificate from a web server to an email server, for example. All these practices are bad. And we are exploiting this by um, exchanging more data from different applications than people expect. So how much of this attack depends on bad uh, system administrator practices versus it depending on bad code or bad protocols or bad implementations? So um, this is bad practice and certificate hygiene has been proposed as a fix before. But the issue is that there are not many tools available to administrators to actually deal with these uh, situations. Um, certificates can have more information about how they are used, but these flags are underused and underspecified. Um, also acquiring a long list of certificates, individual certificates for each domain. It's a hassle, it's expensive and in general, the practice to just share a single certificate across many servers, even unrelated ones, is very um, common. Yeah. So when I'm setting up a new server, what I use to um, at least determine my server configuration, the, the tool that I found most reliable for that, I think is a tool published by Mozilla. Uh, are you guys familiar with this tool, um, Mozilla SSL Server Configurator? I yeah, I think it's, it's from April King, right? Yeah. I have no idea. SSLconfig.mozilla.org. I don't know whether I can find the name of the author on this tool. It doesn't seem to indicate it. But anyway, the, the point that I'm getting into is that th this tool seems to be focused more on server software configuration. So, you know, configure your Nginx or Apache, and then you, you, basically it helps you choose Cypher suites and also other features like HTTP, uh, uh, strict transport, um, so HSTS, uh, and OCSP stapling. But this tool doesn't cover the sort of thing that you would need to cover in certificates, right, in order to uh, avoid attacks like yours. So are there any similar tools that could help people set up their certificates in uh, ways that, that avoid this sort of attack? 
Well, I don't think there are or could be any tools. So um, the best thing we have currently is Census, where you can basically scan the internet and check the certificates you have deployed if you have a big company. But the problem is you need uh, to pr completely prevent the alpaca attack in all possible scenarios. You need a fresh domain name for each TLS service you have. So the certificate sharing part was bad practice before, but having different domains for each service is just unreasonable. Like it's just common practice to have multiple things running on the same domain. Like your website and your email servers are usually or often on the same domain. Yeah, that sounds like it would be very expensive as well. Just it would be there would be like a financial issue for for a lot of people running personal websites or, or open source project websites or stuff like that. Yeah, um, so maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. So can you tell me more about how the attack works? So how are you able to um, generalize authentication? Let's say more than more than it should be uh, via your attack. Can you give us a high level overview? S so um, what we are assuming is a man-in-the-middle attacker. Um, and um, the general TLS confusion attack, um, there is just uh, that the man-in-the-middle attacker redirects the data from one server to another. And maybe Robert wants to say something about that. Yeah, so the, 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 we are considered two different attacks on the paper. So the one is like the vulnerability and one how to exploit it. And for the vulnerability, it's enough to have a man in the middle attacker who redirects the client hello from one server to another one. And when the server responds, the client has to check the certificate from the server. And if a client thinks that the certificate is perfectly valid for the domain he intended to, he will not say anything and will just accept the connection. And the server will also not think that anything is fishy and the connection is established. And from that point on, we consider a server to be or um, to be vulnerable to the attack because you were able to confuse the client to talking to somebody who was not actually wanting to talk to. So you are breaking the authentication of the connection. Um, but this is usually not enough. Like uh, breaking the authentication at this level, no data has been exchanged. It's not very helpful for the attacker. So we do not consider these kind of attacks as exploitable. And for to exploit the attack, actually, we need a stronger attacker model, model where the attacker can also partially influence what the client is sending. So this is typically a man with browser attacker, where the attacker has lured the victim on an attacker-controlled domain. So the attacker can force the victim to make some requests to the website. So some, for example, some post requests. The attacker can include some post data into the request, which is transmitted to the server. And um, the idea is that the attack exploits from the fact that the server which now receives the data, which was not the intended server, is misinterpreting the information it's getting to do something which is beneficial for the attacker. So this, this seems to depend a lot on circumstance. You need to have uh, server administrators that are setting up these certificates uh, indiscriminately across multiple services. And at the same time, you need them to be running. I mean, the, the amount of software out there that uses TLS for, for uh, transport layer security is huge and they could be running all kinds of different services. Um, ha have you found maybe a particular combination that is at the same time a common combination on the internet in terms of uh, indiscriminate certificate issue, like uh, deployment and using a particular set of software, uh, server software that allows for some particularly disastrous, like what, what's the worst case real world scenario that you were able to uh, observe? So... Um, it happens that these attacks were already known in the pen testing community and also a little bit in the research community. 
Um, Jan Horn and Michael Zalewski have given an example in 2015 where they are using an FTP server to reflect JavaScript of the attacker's website uh, to, the, um, to the victim domain. And then you can do um, with an FTP and the web server, which have uh, compatible certificates, you can do a stored um, cross-site script attack or a reflected cross-site script attack. And you can also extract cookies from the connection. So these three types of attack um, we have identified. Um, we have researched the prior art on this field. And then we have actually taken the time, as you said, it's very difficult to achieve and it's very situational. And what we wanted to know is, are these attacks still possible today? And under which conditions? And the paper is basically a long list of <laughs> conditions under which this attack is still possible. And then we scanned the internet to actually find such servers. And um, all this stuff results in um, many thousands web pages actually being vulnerable to this attack because they are co-located with an FTP or email server, which is exploitable. So that's the list that we're seeing here in section six, all the different kinds of... Um, attack strategies, um, reflection attacks, FTP upload and download attacks, email upload and download attacks. Um, right, exactly. And then you looked at the software that is vulnerable to this stuff. So post for Postfix, Exim, these are email servers. Um, wow, that's a ton of servers. Um, FTP servers, web servers. Uh, okay, and, and you're saying, I mean, so... Um, you're saying that it's not very easy to to avoid this because you would need to have, uh, I guess, a stronger discipline on how you deploy these certificates and the sort of like separation, uh, namespace separation, domain separation between different services. Is there? Um, do you think it would be a good idea to? And this might be a bad idea, but just naively asking to extend the uh, certificate uh, standard to include some sort of new field that would allow uh, people to more easily um, mark a separation of, of, of domain and of, of authority uh, when it comes to how the, these certificates are deployed. And that way, at least, you know, clients and servers would be able to rely on this field in order to better ensure that uh, this sort of abuse doesn't occur. Sure, it's definitely a possibility. Like you could add additional fields. Like there are already some fields which tell you, oh, this certificate is for client authentication or this certificate is for web authentication. But it's currently not specific enough. And the problem we'll see with this approach is that you will need to update all the TLS stacks and especially all the X509 code, which is already a nightmare. So this is probably not going to happen in the near future because uh, there's a lot of things to update. So what we instead propose is a fix which is not so intrusive. So there is a feature in TLS called the Application Layer Protocol Negotiation Extension, or short ALPN. And this extension is basically already transmitting the important information, namely the protocol you want to speak. So what happens is the client transmits a list of protocols he wants to speak, and then the server is uh, uh, supposed to choose a protocol from the list the client supported. And then uh, he reflects this protocol, and then both parties know which protocol is be uh, being spoken. The problem with that approach currently is that the servers, if they cannot choose a protocol from the list, they just continue anyways and do not choose a protocol. And what we propose instead is that if you cannot choose a protocol from the list, then um, just abort the connection. So if a, a client wants to speak FTP and you only know HTTP, then just stop talking to the client. 
And this is actually a non-intrusive um, approach because if a client is not supporting APN, you can just continue as always. But if he's sending the wrong protocols, then you have to abort the connection. Wait, I, I want to clarify something that you said there. So if the secure protocols are not supported, what 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 is the failure mode? What does the communication drop down to? Uh, it's just um, like uh, this is just uh, this was intended on the TLS layer to speed up the communication. So when they introduced Quick or HTTP two, they did not want to have an additional round trip in the beginning of the connection to negotiate Quick or HTTP two. So what they did instead, they put this into the TLS handshake. So it was not intended as a security feature or really as much of anything, but as a performance improvement. And uh, this is why there's just no. It drops down to whatever application that the client wants to speak. Uh, yeah, the, the, you know, this actually reminds me of. I, I feel like there's a cryptographic um, similar, like a sort of parallel to to the attack that you're doing uh, in cryptography. Uh, I guess that the way that we would see this problem is uh, context isolation. Like this is why we use HKDF, right? And they provide an info string in order to make sure that there is context for the keys. And this is basically that, but servers and, and you know, computer security networks. But it's, it's basically like, would you agree that the problems are similar or, or am I stretching it out here? No, it's definitely similar. Like there's missing context in there and that is the application layer protocol. And uh, what we propose is that we um, yeah, add this context and enforce this context. But it's not actually enough. So um, there are also the same protocol text. Maybe we we'll get to that later. So there is even more things we should contextualize in the context of TLS connections. Hmm. So in terms like, so you, you obviously did an internet-wide scan. Every time I see that, it blows my mind. I've, I've never, a lot of people do this, and I assume it's not very difficult, but I've never done it. And it it's kind of, wow, they, they scanned the entire internet. <laughs> but... Um, um, how, how how much do you feel like there was a dependency on these old services? Like, I, I don't think I've used FTP once, except maybe to download like LaTeX packages or something over or like in, in the past five years. Uh, did you really find that many services using FTP? And were they were they active servers or was, was it just like a bunch of ser- services like somewhere no one has ever heard of and, and yeah, that's a real that's a real problem that we are living in a bubble we are always living at the t- technological edge and um the most experts do not actually um care about these old systems anymore and uh, all these the legacy systems that are deployed and are actually used um quite heavily so we have found millions of servers and um uh, the, the general tls um con- uh, confusion attack where we just redirect the data from one uh, um service to another is possible for 1.4 million web servers and um, we just do not know if the FTP and email servers at the other end are exploitable because we, we do not test in the wild for um, ethical reasons. We cannot actually try to exploit them. So what we did is we looked at the most popular implementations, installed them locally in the lab setting, and then tried to find exploits there. And then we mapped uh, um, these implementations to what we found in the wild, and uh, this is basically a minimum of um, 114,000 server, uh, web servers are actually exploitable based on this data. 
but there is there are probably many more services which are exploitable which we cannot identify because we are not looking um so yes ftp is still widely used in the industry and um, of course email is also very much used and um, we can seem to get rid of them even after trying for several years <laughs> publishing papers on the insecurity of email um, it still seems to do very well and um, uh, yeah so that that's that definitely sounds like the responsible thing to do um, running running these servers in a, in a lab setting, and thank you for doing that. Seems like seems like good good research practice. Um, I, I was just wondering the uh, so recently, and I suppose this has been a really important um, feature for uh, content delivery networks like Cloudflare, for example, or, or uh, Akamai um, server name indication uh, extension SNI extension. So this allows you. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This allows you to run uh, multiple. Uh, TLS protected domains, for example, from the same IP address uh, with different certificates, and that w- this is what I'm using on my own personal server to run, uh, for example, my personal blog as well as uh, you know the websites of my projects from the same server. So, is this something that could be used in order to help mitigate this attack? Maybe. Yeah, so um, we think definitely so, but it's not entirely mitigating the attack. So it helps when you have um, certificates with multiple host names in them and when you want to confuse uh, on that layer. But um, if you have uh, services running on the same domain, that's not really helpful because the SNI uh, extension still contains the same domain name. And additionally, um, there's a thing called strict SNI. So the thing is, if a server receives a client hello message, which has a SNI extension, contains the hostname the client wants to talk to, and the server sees this hostname and then is deciding which certificate it issues and uh, with, uh, responds with and with uh, which content it delivers. But if a server receives a SNI extension with a hostname which is not responsible for, it can decide what to do. It can continue the connection and uh, just respond with any certificate, uh, or it can stop the connection. And for, to mitigate the Alpaca attack, it's important that the server is actually dropping the connection if he receives the SNI extension, which he feels not responsible to, even if he has a certificate which is valid for that domain. That's, I, I guess that's too bad. <laughs> Um, but... so maybe I can expand a little bit on this because the practice to fall back on SNI mismatch is common in the web servers because um, often you have configurations where you have multiple sites and then there is this catch-all website that um, is configured some at, at some point to uh, fulfill an important use case and then forgotten about. Um, in prior work um, by Delignat Lavo and Bhargavan um, in 2015, a paper called Network-Based Origin Confusion Attacks Against HTTPS Virtual Hosting, the authors um, also um, found um, they are basically the same protocol attacks where you're confusing one web server with another. And um, uh, in that paper, uh, the authors recommend that a strict SNI is implemented, but they also point out that all vendors they contacted have refused to do so because it's important uh, for them to uh, keep these systems running the way they do. And so in 2015, they already identified an important uh, um, argument for strict SNI and failed to um, get vendors to implement it. So we are pessimistic on strict SNI. 
That's that's very important historical context. I feel like I should have known about this because actually Bhargavan was my PhD advisor and uh, Delinia Lavo was uh, my office mate. But I, I joined in 2015. So they were probably already had finished doing that research. They were working on the uh, SMAC TLS, uh, the, the state machine attacks on SSL, which was a huge paper, one like 300,000 million, extremely intimidating. Like I go into this lab first couple of months as a PhD student, they're like, oh my God, we're winning every award for our... Smack TLS paper. I was like, wow, okay, got a lot of catching up to do. That was that was the context in which I started my PhD studies. Um, I think I think like they hired me before winning all these awards, and they were like, ah, we're we're not though, we're not so cool. We can get this guy in, you know. And then they won all the awards, and they were like, ah, we we could have done better. <laughs> now, that we have, now that we have all this attention, um, but yeah. Uh, so I, I I don't I don't know like how. The, the, the mitigation story doesn't seem to be very encouraging. So maybe you should talk about something else. Uh, can well, you tell me uh, more about how... Yeah. Maybe I can add one thing to understand why LPN is so important in this respect is because as Robert explained, um, it is used um, already and it is not yet um, broken in the way that SNI is. And um, the, uh, what's interesting about LPN and um, protocol negotiation is that it's used on the same port, right? So in the past, and uh, we added new protocols on new ports. So HTTP 2 would get a new port, and it wouldn't run on 443. Maybe it would run on 444. And um, they decided against this because they don't want to have these additional round trips. And uh, uh, TLS, interestingly, does not protect the port number, right? So TLS does not protect the IP address and it does not protect the port number. And this is actually why these attacks are possible. Um, and um, so when we're looking at mitigations, we can look higher up at the application layer or the certificates. We can look lower at the port number or the IP address, and all these things are impractical. So what we settled on is ALPN as the best effort to catch a large class of these attacks and um, prevent them at the TLS layer cryptographically. So I'm looking at actually uh, an ALPN uh, exchange example here on my screen. Um, I see that, yes, so it, it does help with specifying the protocol and um, the port, but does it have any uh, effect on specifying stricter domain name applications? Or is that maybe, is that even necessary? Is that even helpful? I mean, if you if you have an LPN extension in place, then you can only do same protocol attacks because you now both parties actually speak the correct protocol. And with same protocol attacks, it's a lot more difficult and uh, harder to exploit because uh, you cannot really confuse the other party that much as you can in a cross-protocol attack where maybe both parties not even understand a bit of each other. Um, but uh, even if, so what you, if you want to mitigate the issue more, you can enforce both AAPN and SNI. So you block um, the cross-protocol attacks and you block the same host uh, or you enforce that those attacks those same protocol attacks on the same host name but what's left is that you have the same protocol on the same host name but you have it on different ports so you imagine you have two web servers running one on port uh, 443 and one running on port 444 then you can still confuse that and there's simply no way to uh, communicate the port number in TLS so if you would also want to mitigate these attacks, you would uh, need to add another extension to TLS where you transmit the intended port number 
and then the server can decide if he wants uh, clients to uh, or if he feels responsible for this intended part. But it's very difficult to um, to implement. You have to update all the servers, you have to update all the clients, and you uh, and you want to deploy this, you have to tell the servers which uh, external port they have, and it's probably a nightmare to configure, and we're probably not going to happen. I see. Uh, well, okay then. That, that I guess, yeah, that that, that does make sense. Um, so maybe maybe we could talk about more about how this re research came to be. So how how were you guys interested and inspired to look into this particular set of problems? I see that there's a lot of very like it's a very diverse uh, set of authors. Um, I do not know all of these authors, but I do know that a lot of them focus on TLS. So what made you decide to look at this problem in particular, and how did the collaboration occur? So it was during a lunch break, actually, that we thought that it would be fun to uh, <laughs> use browsers for more than they are in intended to do. And the first idea was actually to uh, use WebSockets to um, contact uh, non-HTTP or non-WebSocket servers in this case. Um, it turns out that for WebSockets, you cannot do this attack because in uh, the, the secure WebSocket protocol, there's a random non-send by the client, which has to be reflected by the server. So there's protection against um, confusion attacks uh, at the application layer. So, um, yeah, it, it, for me, it sounded like fun, like uh, doing strange, confusing things uh, on, on <laughs> the Internet with a protocol mismatch that people don't expect. That sounds like my it's a type of fun. And, and then we started to research it. Then we found this long history of um, cross-protocol attacks, which starts actually with Jochen Topf in 2001, who uh, had nothing to do with TLS. He, he just found out that he could use a, a web browser to send email. And um, there actually a lot of spam has, over, uh, has been sent this way. And there's been attacks on IRC servers this way. So browsers um, early on implemented countermeasures by by blocking access to these uh, non-standard HTTP uh, non-HTTP ports. So, um, for example, on um, since many years on a browser, you cannot actually send data directly to port 25. Um, the the browser blocks this, and you need a uh, man in the middle um, to, to do this. And uh, the um, plain text uh, um, cross-protocol attacks, they have been known in the pen testing community for years. They are academically unexplored, but they were not new. And we thought with uh, TLS, we had a new um, uh, way to make these attacks interesting because it's actually with cryptography. And with cryptography makes everything more interesting. So um, we found that even then uh, we had one example of an attack, as I said, by Jan Horn and uh, Michael Zalewski, but um, that's it. There was nobody else uh, doing any work on this, and it seemed like completely unexplored um, in a in a the data science way. Maybe I can also give some background on the issue, how it came to be, because um, Jan Horn posted this, I think, in 2016 on Twitter, and Yura saw it back then, and he found it interesting. They had a short discussion also with other people, uh, but this has got kind of forgotten because it's a very niche bug, and nobody felt responsible to fix this in the TLS ecosystem. And uh, Yura told me about this issue, like, I think, in 2017, 2018, 
And then we thought, oh, yeah, we should definitely do this at some point. And uh, then Marcus came and uh, he found, uh, found this also interesting. So he took over the project and started doing the evaluation. And there was really a lot of work to be done with the evaluation because it was not sure which protocols do we analyze, which applications do we analyze, what do we scan for. And at the po point where we uh, started working on the on the tech, we were actually not uh, aware that it's actually the TS fault. So we were just like, oh, it's just the way the world works. Um, you can do those uh, cross-protocol attacks. But we didn't come to the conclusion yet that it's actually that the authentication in TLS is not strong enough uh, in the way that TLS is used and deployed today. Yeah, the story of the paper changed one week before submitting it. <laughs> we were first focusing on the, the HTTP um, attacks and uh, then the Robert uh, uh, pointed out that this is a general problem. As soon as you establish a connection between the client and the not intended server, you have already the potential for severe mayhem. I imagine a server that just writes everything it sees to a log file and then you can immediately extract the cookie. It's it's a very simple scenario, which doesn't even include any sophisticated um, a, a, a thing. It's just that you are sending data to a process that does not expect it, and then things happen. And we think that um, there's much more work to be done with other protocols. For example, you can also uh, confuse... Uh, these are all text protocols, but you can also do confusion with binary protocols. Um, there are examples of... Um, actually of exploiting CPUs with ASCII strings. You can encode assembler code in ASCII strings. So CPUs have uh, instruction sets that are so diverse that usually you have enough uh, instructions in an ASCII string encoding to actually uh, execute code. So <laughs> um, uh, you can confuse text and binary protocols, that's what I'm saying, and nobody has even looked at all these protocols that are using TLS yet. We don't even know what protocols use TLS. It's unknown. So you 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 came to the interesting realization that you could execute potentially assembly code via ASCII strings, and you were like, hmm, we will not look into this. <laughs> no, no. There is, uh, actually, I don't need to look at this because there is prior work on this. So there's a paper on it. It's cited oh. in our work. Man, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, I, I I have a preference towards working with high level languages. Like I, I don't really enjoy working with C. I, I like like the, the lowest I'll go is Rust, and uh, um, I, so I, I'm I'm always for I'm foreign to this world, right? I don't really like know a lot about assembly. I don't know a lot about low level stuff. Every time I hear horror stories, I mean, I, I know enough to understand them, and I know enough to like conceptualize how they could work, but. It's just such a foreign, terrifying, scary world. It's like the dark forest in Lord of the Rings. It's like Mirkwood or something, you know. I just yeah. I, I don't want to go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's definitely a lot of um, uh, that. That answers the the last question I wanted to ask, which is uh, how do you see these attacks growing in the future, uh, or or diversifying? Uh, there's definitely. I mean, uh, I guess that a ton of engineers were scrambling to get the web working in the early uh, 2000s, I guess, and late 2000s, and built all of this code that even to this day has tons of, you know, technical debt and issues that still can be investigated. So it's the gift that keeps on giving incredibly, incredibly. And uh, the, the amount of work that would be necessary to rewrite all this stuff from scratch 
is insane, even even in something like Rust. So uh, I, I know that the people at, have you guys heard of this effort from Microsoft Research called Project Everest? Sure. Where they want, yeah, they want to rewrite all of HTTPS, not just TLS, but like the entire browser protocol security stack in uh, F star, which is, you know, like if you think Rust is a pain, like, oh man, like F star is like this, like sadomasochistic nightmare of a programming language. Uh, my my thesis advisor is one of the main creators of my former thesis advisor. So so yeah, but still, um, I I can't stand working with F star. So you you basically uh, they they created this like OCaml like ML functional language, very nice design, and then paired it with the theorem prover, the Z three theorem prover, and then created all of these abstractions and then meta logic and meta programming things and functors and so on on top of it and monads and I don't know what. And so if you want to write basically anything in F star, you basically have to uh, go all um, what's his name. Uh, that guy who wrote Principia Mathematica. You basically just have to rewrite that book all over again if you, if you want to do something in F-star um, because you have to specify a lot of proofs and a lot of uh, like, you know, and then F-star types are proofs, right? So you, you, you have to go that route. And they're doing all of HTTPS all over again in this thing where you have to prove that every point is on the curve and every certificate is actually, um, during my internship at Microsoft Research, that's what I did. I wrote a certificate parser and serializer, uh, X509 certificate parser and serializer in F star. And that was, that was interesting. Um, yes. But but yeah. So each part in the alpaca attack, each component that we use functions according to its specification. There is no bug here to fix. There's no implementation vulnerability. There's just a, a misunderstanding of um, um, how these things need to be configured, uh, lack of um, realization that uh, these attacks are possible. And um, so even if you had the most secure implementation that you can imagine with all this verification and so on, uh, if it would behave like um, TLS and certificates and verification behave today and the internet is set up like today, uh, these attacks would be possible. And so this is a, this is a sombering story in this regard because um, uh, people, uh, this is probably the most important contribution of this paper is to highlight this issue and um, make sure that we address it before and, uh, and more protocols are protected by TLS because, and then this is the easy fix, right? You take a, a protocol and you didn't do the work to actually make it cryptographic, then you put TLS on it. And with an increasing number of protocols, we have a quadratic uh, number of possibilities to confuse them. So, um, and uh, also with implementations, because there are so many details that implementations also need to have some exploitation vector. Uh, the more implementations are protected, the more pot potential you have for confusion attacks. So um, if you don't fix this now, then we probably have follow-up papers in the future when, even if currently there, there are no more attacks, they will come in the future when more and more protocols use TLS. And we didn't talk about Quick and other things, which probably work in a similar manner. Oh yeah, Quick was just very recently standardized, right? Like maybe yeah. yesterday or something. Yeah, I think last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, a very very recently. So maybe we should have someone talking about Quick actually, and on the on the podcast. Oh yes, definitely. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I, I try to keep podcasts at forty minutes because I feel like people stop listening after that. If you look at the 
analytics on, on the podcast platform that I use. Uh, but this has been incredibly interesting. And this research promises to bring in further research and uh, further um, analysis uh, in this uh, huge field of, of potential security vulnerabilities. So this was Alpaca, Application Layer Protocol Confusion, Analyzing and Mitigating Cracks in TLS Authentication that's going to be published at the 30th Usenix Security Symposium. So Usenix Security uh, 2021, which is soon, right? In a month or so? I think it's August. Yeah. August. Yep, yep. In, in, the, in the summer, if I recall. Okay, uh, so uh, Marcus and Robert, uh, anything to say before we sign off? Um, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, maybe next time it'll be you who's on the show talking about your cool alapaca attack or camel attack or uh, bunny attack or any other cute animal attack. Please name your attacks after cute animals and come on the show and discuss them. Um, Cryptography FM is a nice place to talk about interesting work and hopefully make it more understandable to a more general audience. Um, but whether you're a listener or an active participant, I hope to see you again anyway next time on Cryptography FM.